Thank you. It is great to be together. Uh, I have very high regard for your pastor, Stephen Bruce, and his wife, Angela, and their family. Uh, one of the girls came up to me. I spoke at the Fellowship of uh, Christian Students the other day at the high school, and uh, she came up to give a thank you note on behalf of the group, and I just thought what a blessing it is to have a family like the Bruce's providing leadership here for the church. We've always uh, been in town 21 years. We've always had high regard for the ministry the outreach, the community involvement here, and so it's a privilege for me, for my wife Lori, to be able to join you here on this day. Now, over the last probably 10 or 15 years, I've been preaching in series three or four messages over the course of a month, so today I, I, it's kind of a hit and run for me. I get to come in here one time, talk to you for one service, so I'm going to pile it all together. We'll be out of here by 2 o'clock, I promise, and uh, no, I'm, I, I won't keep you that long, but I am going to ask you to do your part. I'll do my part if you do your part. I want you to listen fast because we're going to kind of do a flyover of all four Gospels and back into the Old Testament, pick up a couple of books. And so I need you to really pay attention and be engaged and uh, allow the Lord to speak to you. I, I just want to encourage you right from the start to just open your heart to the Lord. Lord, what do you have to say to me through this message? And uh, whenever I think about hurrying and listening fast and, and, and thinking fast, it reminds me of a great story I heard about 40 years ago. Uh, this young man, probably late teens, gets a job down at the grocery store and he's working in the produce department. And as he's working in the produce department, a woman comes up to him one day and she says, uh, young man, I would like to buy a half a head of lettuce. And uh, he said, well, you know, I don't, I don't know how we do that. He said, I'm going to have to go talk to my manager. So he's walking to the back of the store to go to the manager's office, and he doesn't realize it, but this woman is right behind him. He opens the door, and he says to the manager, um, I've got some windbag out here that wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. And right then, he saw her over his shoulder. And he said, and this nice lady has offered to buy the other half. <clears throat> So a little later in the day, the manager looked him up and he said, young man, I want to tell you something. He said, I saw what happened there and you think fast on your feet. I think you have a bright future here in the store. He says, where are you from? And the young man said, I'm from the home of the world's ugliest looking women and the best looking hockey players, Toronto, Canada. And the manager said, my wife is from Toronto, Canada. <laughs> he said, which team does she play for? <laughs> So you listen up and we're going to move through. I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe in miracles here at Seymour Christian Church? You believe in miracles? Thank you. That looks like a vast majority. Miracles don't come from human beings. We know for sure they come from God. Miracles go beyond the laws of nature. They can't be explained scientifically, medically, uh, logically, or otherwise. The dictionary says that a miracle has certain supernatural characteristics. I think that's Webster's way of saying they have the fingerprints of God all over them. Uh, I want to invite you to try to think about three stories or four that are, you know, like you're hearing them for the first time. Um, 
I'm going to tell you about some miracles. They're incredible miracles, some that have impressed me and I've studied through the years and some of them you've probably heard, maybe some others you've not, but I want to encourage you to try to place yourself in the story. Try to imagine yourself right there. Picture yourself in the scene as I tell it. And first, I want you to imagine yourself in a dusty pair of sandals sitting on the side of the hill where the feeding of the 5,000 has just taken place. The story unfolds in Matthew chapter 14. There's 5,000 men, probably five to 10,000 women and children. They've been fed by Jesus. It is the only miracle apart from the resurrection that's been recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know the story, many of you. The little boy had five fish and two uh, small loaves, or five, I guess it wouldn't matter, would it? I like my bread and my meat. You've got five loaves, two fish, or two loaves and five fish, whatever the case. He's got that, and he brought it to the, to the service, the hillside, meeting there with Jesus with all these thousands of people. And uh, they're looking for food to feed this crowd. And Jesus took those loaves of bread and those tiny fish, and he blessed them. And then the disciples started passing them out. And when the story was over, uh, they had collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I've always thought it had been nice if they'd have given those to the kid, and then I would have loved to have been there when he showed up at home and his mother said, where did you get all this stuff? I'd have loved to have heard his explanation about that. But Jesus, when that miracle was over, he told the disciples, get in the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side, and uh, he would stay and dismiss the people. And as soon as he got the crowd dispersed, Jesus climbed up the mountain so that he could be alone to pray. And he stayed there by himself until it was night. And while Jesus was praying, the disciples were drifting. Their boat was floating further out to sea when the wind came up against it. And their small boat was being crashed by the waves. Put yourself there in the boat. About four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came walking to them on the water. Now, the Bible says they were scared out of their wits. That's what one paraphrase says. They were scared out of their wits. They thought they were seeing a ghost out there in the dark of the night. But Jesus was quick to comfort. He said to them, don't be afraid. Take courage. It's me. It's going to be okay. He was letting them know. He's comforting them. And as usual, impulsive Peter was ready to chime in. He said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus immediately said, come on, Peter, come ahead, come to me. And so Peter jumped out of the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. There you are in the boat. Think of it. It's dark. The waves are crashing around you. Your hair and your clothes are wet and you're being tossed back and forth in the waves. And you're watching Peter walking on the water to Jesus. Peter was willing to dare to do the impossible. And Jesus seemed to like that because he invited Peter to participate in the miraculous. And so here's my question to you today. Do you believe that Jesus is still calling out today to people who dare to dream, who dare to believe, who will dare to do the impossible? This time the miracles may not include skipping across the storm waves like it did for Peter. Or maybe it won't include casting your net on the other side of the boat for a miraculous catch of fish like it did for the disciples one day over in John chapter 21. Or maybe it won't include dipping yourself seven times in the muddy Jordan River to cleanse the leprous skin of a man named Naaman. But as was the case in every one of these miracles and so many more, obedience is critical. 
Each time these miracles required stepping out in faith and doing something that at least seemed to be unreasonable. I wonder, and you know the answer to this question, do you trust God on that level personally? Do you trust God on that level personally? I wonder what the answer might be. I, I believe some of you would say, yes, I do, and that'd be a true answer. But there would be some who, if you were honest, you would have to say, no, I don't. See, when you read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're reminded in the third chapter of that letter that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. Do you believe that or are you living a life that says you believe it? Do your actions support that claim? Do you trust God completely and obey him in all things in every way? I know many of you would say you trust him for your salvation, for eternity, and of course you do. You know, what else, what other choice do you have? You know, you can't take control and force anything to happen. You can't do your own thing there. But if you truly trust him and if your faith in God is big, don't you believe your faith ought to be showing up in your daily life? Down at the school, at the office, in the factory, uh, in the neighborhood, in the community where you live. It'll show up in your marriage. It'll show up in your finances, the way you handle them. It'll show up in the way that you pray for that wayward son or daughter. Or as you consider your next steps in your career. You see, you know when your faith is strong. And you know if you truly trust God for the impossible. And faith requires us to do some things sometimes that may seem to be unreasonable. That will be a struggle for some who want everything figured out at the end of the pencil. You want all the answers before you answer the question. You, you don't want to have anything left up to chance. I mean, it's, if you need to see all the details and calculate all the possible outcomes before you're willing to act, is it fair to claim that you have faith in your Heavenly Father? Is, is it fair to claim that he's the one who promises to provide in your life if you haven't given him that opportunity? He is the one who promised to never leave us or forsake us. See, I would tell you that obedience, it opens the door to God's miracles. And obedience opens the door to God's blessings. Obedience opens the door to God's miracles and God's blessings. This time, you know, this could be a place where you think about God's blessings and miracles in your life. And, and you may stand back and say, if, if that's what opens the door, maybe that explains a lot of what's been happening in my life. Because maybe you took a step of faith at one point in your life and you trusted God for your salvation. But apart from that, not much has happened in your life from a faith standpoint since. See, obedience Obedience leads to stronger faith. That's why we invite people to be baptized. They take a step of obedience in what we hope will be a lifetime of obedience. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you say yes to God in obedience, the next yes is easier. And the next yes is easier. And as you say yes, the next is easier and easier and easier. But the, the opposite is true as well. When God speaks to you and you sense him speaking and you say no, the next no is easier. And the next no is easier. And some of you could stand and testify because you'd say, you know what? I remember when he did this. He called me to that. He invited me here. And I said no. And I've been saying no ever since. Or I don't feel like he's saying anything. 
And you could stand and testify to that. And I think today could be a day to change that. Maybe you took a step and, and, and you, you realize now that was a defining moment, a turning point in your life. See, understand that obedience leads to stronger faith. And stronger faith leads to increasing obedience. This is how we grow in our faith. It's how we stretch our faith muscle. We trust God. We see him work. We learn to trust him more. We see that God's faithful and that he can be trusted. And we trust him more and we trust him more. And that's why our faith continues to grow in this cycle of faith and obedience and faith and obedience and faith and obedience. I'm convinced that obedience is what releases the miracle power, working power of God in our lives. For instance... The disciples didn't understand what difference is it going to make to cast our net on the other side of the boat. I mean, man, we've been casting all night, and, but that's what Jesus told them to do. You remember the story? It's in John chapter 21. It took place shortly after Jesus rose from the grave. The disciples, they didn't know what they were going to do, and their world had been turned upside down, and so they'd returned to the work that many of them knew best. And so they're out on the boat, and I want you again, picture yourself there. They had fished all night, and they'd caught nothing. Not a single minnow, not a single guppy, not a single fish of any kind for the entire night of effort. And understand that these are experienced fishermen. They were experiencing defeat. They they were coming up empty-handed in the work they knew best. And I believe Jesus was very intentional when he called them uh, from the shore and said, hey, cast your net on the opposite side of the boat. Now, when you hear that story, you'd have to be thinking, what difference is that going to make? I mean, they had fished all night and caught nothing. I mean, if you've ever been out on a boat fishing and you're fishing on this side of the boat, is it really possible that all the fish are over here? And these aren't guys that are casting, you know, 100 yards out or 50 yards out into the water. These are guys that are throwing the net over the side of the boat. Is it possible you could fish all night fishing off this side and catch nothing and turn around and all the fish were over here all night long? Is that what happened? I I don't think so. They'd fished all night, caught nothing. I would imagine that they'd thrown the nets on both sides of the boat anyway that night. But I want you to see it again. Obedience was the key that unlocked the door to that miracle. Um, Maybe you heard the story of Naaman, commander in the Syrian army. Naaman had leprosy. You know, a highly contagious disease that left victims covered in these painful, oozing, ugly sores. And he's coming to the prophet Elijah waiting to be healed. And Naaman, no doubt, was hoping for a miracle. He probably expected Elijah to come out and pray for him and maybe pour some oil over his head or wave his hand over him or something dramatic like that. But Naaman was disappointed because Elijah did none of that. In fact... He didn't even come out and speak to Naaman. He didn't even go out to meet him. Instead, he sent a messenger out to this Syrian commander. And so the messenger comes out to give Naaman the message from the man of God. And he said, Naaman, you are to go dip yourself seven times, not once, seven times in that muddy Jordan River. And he's got to be thinking, are you kidding me? That's it? I mean, go dip in the Jordan River? I mean, Elijah said, you know, that's my prescription for healing. I, I mean, open sores in muddy water, that doesn't sound good. That, that's going to make things worse. I might get an infection. It sounds like a terrible idea. It is downright unsanitary. And seven times, why seven? 
I mean, once, if I've got to do it, once should be enough. Once is going to be embarrassing enough. It's humiliating. It doesn't make sense. But once again, obedience was the key. And then there's this story of Peter walking on the water. Jesus invited Peter to step out of the boat. That doesn't add up. Nothing about it makes sense. If you hadn't heard the story before, you know, if it hadn't happened and and we were hearing it for the first time, or if we're in the boat and seeing it unfold for the first time, you'd be thinking, man, people don't walk on water. There's no contingency plan. Peter's going to sink. What's going to happen? But each of these encounters require absolute faith and complete trust. After almost 40 years of pastoral ministry, I have noticed this. People sometimes keep people from experiencing God's best. People often keep people from experiencing God's best. Have you noticed that? See, think about it. After fishing all night with no success, these tired fishermen could have said, hey, you know what, Jesus, no more casting for us. It's been a long night, you know. We haven't caught anything. Sometimes it just works like that. Uh, We're going to go to bed. And if they had chosen to respond like that, they would have missed out on the biggest catch of their lives. Naaman might have laughed at Elijah's instructions to dip seven times in the Jordan River. I'm not doing that. No way. What are people going to think? He might have been too embarrassed to go through with it. He could have chosen to give in to the ridicule of the onlookers. I mean, people must have laughed out loud when they heard Elijah's instructions for Naaman. Naaman could have easily, listen, he could have easily missed out on his miracle. But his servant, of all things, his servant encouraged him to do what Elijah said. And he did. And when he did, he experienced total and complete cleansing. Think of that. Another great example is David. Nobody gave David a chance against Goliath. I mean, he's a soldier, this Goliath, he's a master, of a, a, a mountain of a man, and, and he's a soldier, a seasoned warrior, he's familiar with combat, and David was just a skinny kid with acne. I mean, he's, he's no match, he's a teenage shepherd boy who has zero experience in battle. But God had his hand on this young man, and when God spoke, David listened. David obeyed. King Saul tried to talk David out of confronting Goliath. And if David had listened to Saul, not only would he have never defeated Goliath, he would have never even met Goliath. Sometimes people do keep people from experiencing God's best. I could just hear those disciples sitting in the boat. You know, surely they were saying, sit down, Peter. I mean, you're rocking the boat. I mean, think about it. You're out there tossing back and forth in the wind and the waves, and it's dark. And he's standing up to step out and go to Jesus. A lot of people don't realize it, but there's some in-between-the-lines reading of the Scripture here because there was a song written about this experience. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Tip the boat, don't tip the boat over. That one came from one of the guys sitting there watching Peter. I, I just share little nuggets like that that you, you don't get anything else out of the message. You can remember that. But the point is, they couldn't. None of those guys could have been happy about Peter standing up in the boat. And if Peter had listened to them, he would have missed out on his miracle too, wouldn't he? See, I, I have often wondered, how many times has this happened in the church? 
I mean, we could talk about the big church, capital C, and the church, but what about even in this church, in the churches around about us? How, how many times has a church, a church board, stood at the threshold of a miracle and somebody gave a compelling speech about safety and security? I had a guy one time in a meeting stand up and he said, I am not the voice of opposition. I am the voice of options. Do you know who says statements like that? I am not the voice of opposition. I'm the voice of options. The person who says that usually is the voice of opposition. That's been my experience. It reminds me of the 12 spies who were sent in to explore the promised land. God had already promised the land. Listen, he had already promised the land to the nation of Israel. That's where the name comes from, promised land. God had promised it, but 12 spies looked the situation over. And 10 came back with the naysayers report. You remember? Even though God promised them the land, 10 of the spies came back and said, we can never take that land. We could never possess that land. The people that live there are too big. There are too many. That won't work. It'll never happen. There were 10 who said no, but there were two who said go. It's in Numbers chapter 13. See, faith required when God calls us to step up and step out of the boat, it requires us to obey. It's always easier to sit still and play it safe. But faith requires us to stand up, step out, and obey. And for Peter, you know, stepping out of the boat didn't make any sense. As I said, it was illogical. It didn't add up. But faith doesn't always make sense. In fact, Sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. That's where we've been living in our household these last several months. We stepped out of the boat and we've done some things that didn't make sense because the Lord has led. Sometimes he calls us to step out of the boat. I hear people every once in a while say they feel like they're going out on a limb. Sometimes he calls us to go out on a leaf. He wants you and me to trust him. Do you understand that? You want your kids to trust you, don't you? You want them to believe in you. God wants us to trust him. Sometimes he calls us to step out of the safety of the boat and he might challenge us to go where we've never gone before and do what we've never done before. I mean, what would you do? Don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. What would you do if God called you today? to stand up and to step out. Would you do it? Would you do what God is calling you to do? Metaphorically speaking, how would you respond if he said, hey, today, you know what it means. I want you to step out of the boat. Are you open to God's call to total and complete obedience? Would you be willing to obey him in all things, in everything, even when it doesn't make sense? Have you noticed that obedience is no big deal when God asks you to do what you want to do? It's tough when he calls you to do something that's big and scary or something that was not your own idea or something that doesn't make sense and especially something that you may not want to do. Our response is sometimes saying, God, that can't be your will. That can't be your will. But when you are willing to trust and obey, as God brings clarity to the call, the committed Christian will obey him. They will follow through. They will step out. Even if it's out of your comfort zone. Even if it means walking in uncharted waters to places you've never been before. And aren't there enough stories, really, 
of faith and obedience in the word of God. To inspire us to believe that where God guides, he provides and that he can be trusted. You know, but if you decide to trust him and live in obedience, you're not going to always be in the majority. Sometimes, maybe even most of the time, you're going to be in the distinct minority. Because in so many instances, the people who are ready to obey are the people who are living in the minority. But these heroes of the faith are willing to say an absolute yes to Jesus and his will for their lives, no matter the odds. I wonder, where are you on your faith journey today? Where are you on that journey with Christ? Are you ready to say yes to God regardless of the odds and even if you're the only one? What if you're ready to obey and one person speaks up against that project that you know God is calling to you to do? Are you going to throw in the towel and quit and walk away and give up? What if you're with a group of people that say, no more casting for us, no more casting those nets, we're tired, we, this doesn't make any sense, we're just going home. Would you give up and go home with them? Would you quit too? What if somebody says, oh, you're too young, you're too small, you don't have what it takes, you'll never defeat your Goliath. See, the Bible is filled with people who have tried to keep others from experiencing God's best. And maybe they weren't doing it intentionally, but through their words and through their actions and through their small thinking and bad attitudes, people often have kept people from experiencing God's best. And even if it was unintentional, even if they didn't do it on purpose, the results of their limited faith and godless thinking are just as destructive as if they were malicious in their intent. See, people can cause people to miss God's will. People can cause people to shrink back from a life of faith. People sometimes cause people to miss out on the miracles that God wants to perform in their life. Could I appeal to every one of you here this morning? Please, please, don't be those people. Don't be one of those people for your spouse or for your kids or for a neighbor or friend, somebody that's a coworker that's talking about what God may be calling them to do. Don't be one of those people. Don't limit God. Don't call those who have faith to get back in the boat. Let them go and watch God do a mighty work right before your eyes. Or better yet, how about join them on their miraculous journey of faith and obedience? Dare to dream and let go and let God do something that is much bigger than you could ever do on your own. I mean, I believe he wants to do a mighty work in all of our lives. And I believe he wants to do a mighty work right here, right now in this church. Make yourself available to the one who said in Matthew chapter 19, 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? A handful of us do. I hope we all do, that we believe that with God, all things are possible. And so the question is, what would I do for God if I knew I wouldn't fail? What would you do for God if you knew today you wouldn't fa fail? Now, as I said, nothing is impossible with God. Folks, that's not a cliche on a Christian plaque. That is the word of God. You know, that's exactly what the angel told Mary when he came to announce the coming of the Christ child in Luke chapter 137. He said, for nothing is impossible with God. That's what the angel said to Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
I don't want to hold anybody back when it comes to what God's calling them to do, would you? I mean, it's this, in the spirit of full disclosure, in this story that we've read, the kind of the center part of this message, I have to tell you, there is more to Peter's story. I mean, it is true that he was willing to try walking on water, and he did really well at first, but if you know the whole story, you know the rest of the story, and that is that he sunk. And this is all in Matthew chapter 14, toward the end of the chapter. Jesus called Peter to come. Peter jumped out of the boat. He walked on the water. But look what happened in Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. It gets to the place where he says, um, hey, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. You have to admit this was a great, great story right up until Peter sunk. That's when the story went downhill, went down with the ship. I hate it when a good story gets ruined, but let's just take a moment to dissect. Why did Peter sink? Why did he sink? I will tell you that the the reason Peter sunk, sink, sank, sunk, I got to think about it here. Which one is it? The same reason he sank why people always sink. It, It may be the same reason that you feel like you're sinking today. And it's because Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to focus on his problems. That's where people always get in trouble, isn't it? Peter sunk because he became wind conscious and wave conscious instead of Christ conscious. That's what happened to Peter. Now, that's not to say we should ignore our problems. Sometimes we just need to face the facts. Weakness doesn't come from, you know, ignoring our problems. You know, sometimes we've got to do it, but we, we get in trouble when we overemphasize or, or we're consumed by the, the, the problems. Don't allow the obstacles to control your life. Don't allow the obstacles to become your focus. I would challenge you today, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keeping your eyes on Jesus provides a powerfully positive perspective. Read his word, listen for his voice, pay attention to what Jesus says, obey him in all things. So what happened here in the story? Peter, he sunk and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus didn't hesitate. I love this. Here's what happened in verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt Get this, instead of focusing on the need, Peter focused on the one who could supply his every need. He fixed his eyes on the deliverer instead of the dilemma. And so I want to challenge you today to be alive to your resources. We serve a great God who, according to Ephesians 3.20, is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Now, this message could be applied to our individual lives. It has applications for this church as well. And most specifically, I believe it applies to this particular congregation, not the church just at large. It applies to you and to me and to us today. See, to be a truly victorious church, you must be a God-conscious church, just like the New Testament church. I mean, they had no money, no real social position, no church building, no assets. They didn't even have a paved parking lot. Your parking lot looks really nice, by the way. I I know that was a big accomplishment. That feels good, doesn't it? But the New Testament church didn't have any of that. But on the day of Pentecost, the Lord came back in the power of his Holy Spirit until they were absolutely convinced that he would always be with them and he would always be within them. And they were convinced that God would supply their every need through the power of his Spirit. 
That's when they brushed aside all the impossibilities and with great God awareness, they participated in the miraculous and they changed their worlds forever. They filled their horizons not with hindrances but with hope and faith in him who would not let his church sink. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the same God we serve today. Amen. Today, he won't let his church sink either, and he won't let you sink. There are five quick characteristics. I'll give them to you quick of that New Testament church. The first is unity. You read about it in the book of the Acts. They were in one accord. They see how they loved one another. There was unbelievable unity. They had boldness. They spoke the word of God with boldness. There was courage. Nothing could taunt them. They were the kind of people that knew that one man or one woman and God is a majority in any situation. They were confident. It's another word for faith. They had this unbelievable hopefulness. And number five, they had power. The more the opposition, the more they seemed to triumph. How could that be? It is because they were God conscious and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you today, Christ's church needs people, disciples, baptized with that same Holy Spirit who have responded to Christ's invitation to the miraculous. They're the people who believe that he won't let them sink. They're the ones who believe that if they will, by faith, walk out into the turbulent waters and make themselves candidates for participation in a miracle, they believe that Jesus will be there to hold them up and to keep them from sinking too. See, baptized by the Holy Spirit, sold out completely, surrendered to God. And here's the thing, when we give God all we have, he gives us all he has and we become big, big winners. As this church today looks to the future and the needs that lie ahead, and as you think about Christ's invitation to the miraculous, I want to know, are you willing to risk and to dare and to dream and to do exceedingly great things for the glory of God? Are you willing to trust in a God who won't let you sink? As we close, I want you to consider where you are on the journey today. Where are you on this journey of faith? I doubt very many of us will ever have to walk on water. But we will walk through difficult circumstances and through tough situations. And some of you, if you were honest, you would say, I'm there right now. I'm there today. If you're like Peter and probably like many of us, it's way, way too easy to focus on the wind and on the waves and the troubling circumstances around you and the questions that seem to have no answers. Without looking to Christ, you might wind up discouraged and in despair. And just like Peter, you might feel like, man, I'm beginning to sink. Well, to maintain your faith in the middle of those difficult circumstances, I want to challenge you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Just like Peter did. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not on people, not on the past, not on another group of people, not on the inadequacy, not on the circumstances. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you feel like you are beginning to stink, just look to Peter's example. I mean, there's no use acting like you're not sinking when everybody around you knows it and you know, know it. I mean, what would have happened to Peter if he hadn't called on Christ to save him? We may never know. I mean, it's speculation. I, I get it. But I suppose there's a pretty good chance he would have, would have drowned. Some of you may feel like you're drowning today, but you don't have to. Just because your faith might have faltered a bit and just because you might have gotten your eyes off Jesus for a moment, that doesn't mean you failed. 
Because he's still here and he's still reaching out to you today. And so I ask you this question in closing. Are you participating in the miraculous or are you sitting in the supposed safety of the boat? I'll tell you this. I'd rather be walking on the turbulent storm waves with Jesus than be sitting in the boat without him, wouldn't you? I'd rather be walking on the turbulent storm waves with Jesus than be sitting in the boat without him. I don't want you to miss God's best. His miracles could take all kinds of different shapes and sizes and forms. It could be personal miracles, restoration of a relationship, a marriage, deliverance from a habit or addiction, deliverance or bondage from the bondage of an unforgiving spirit, the healing of a negative attitude. Perhaps you've spent your life calling people to get back in the boat and today you realize for the first time things are about to change. You're, you're going to turn that around. Maybe God's calling you to full-time Christian service. Perhaps he's leading you out of your comfort zone into a vocational change that's scary but will lead to miraculous results if you'll just trust him. Maybe he wants you to begin a ministry. Maybe he just wants you to step up and serve an existing ministry. God may have spoken to you about a number of things. I know he can take a message like this and apply it to 100 people 100 different ways. Are you willing to respond obediently as he speaks to you? Will you say an absolute and unconditional yes to our heavenly father? He has proven himself faithful, hasn't he? Again and again and again. I want to challenge people of all ages from all over this room and those who are watching online. Step out of the boat this morning and trust God completely. Would you bow with me, please, as we pray? Father, I don't know what you might have said to the people that are gathered here this morning and those online, but I believe you have spoken. I believe you led that this message be delivered here on this day to these folks. And I just pray that you would take that message and that you would apply it to each of our waiting hearts. And today, Lord, I pray that in these moments together, you would give us the wisdom to know what do we do with what we've heard. What, so what? I came to church, I heard, so what? I pray you will give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and then the courage to go ahead and step out and do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.